Welcome to The Family Room, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome to another week in the family room. As always, this is Craig Wiesmeyer, and I'm here with my co-host, Mari and John Gordon. Hello, Craig. Hi, Craig. <laughs> I don't get a last name today. That's okay. <laughs> There's more Johns in the world than there are Maris. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Then that, that's Mari Cleveland for all of you who uh, don't matter. know her. It doesn't matter. Um, just curious, have you ever had an experience where either you were in nature or you've seen a beautiful church or whatever, and... You kind of looked beyond what was right in front of you, and it kind of brought your spirit up a little bit higher. Did you ever have that experience? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I think today's going to be a great conversation. Again, we're back with uh, Christopher West, better known to us as just a guy wanting to have a conversation about what he does. Um, for those that may not know, though, um, Christopher West is a deep thinker in theology of the body. He's also written a book we're going to talk about today called God is Beauty, a retreat on the gospel and art. Hold Re- on, hold on. Hold on. I, didn't, I didn't write it. I didn't write this book. This is a retreat that John, John Paul, Paul II gave right. long before he became pope. I offer some commentary in the book, but I just want to make that clear. No, that's great. Author, that's great. Yeah, since he is a saint, that is so good of you to make sure you <laughs> make that clear before. I don't want to take credit for the gift of John Paul II. <laughs> so better yet, then uh, Christopher West unpacks this book about God is beauty and gives us some um, uh, background into that and how it ties the theology of body and everything else. So before we go any further, can we start with prayer? Mm-hmm. Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and so many times we are confused by the beauty that you've built into us and that you've built around us. And so as we have this discussion about beauty and as we have the wisdom and clear thought and clear speech of Christopher West with us, we would just ask that you bless these endeavors, bless this time together, and open up our minds and hearts so we might feel that ache that lies inside with something worthy of you and your love and holy and true and and something that would inspire behavior in us that is becoming of the children of God that we are. Father, we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, Christopher, welcome back. I'm so happy to be with you guys again. We're glad you were this here. Great. And for us, this is especially good because one of the things, when we were first forming this this radio show, the family room, we chose Saint Pope. I always say it backwards. Um, John Paul II, Saint bon- Paul, Saint John Paul the Great, as our patron saint for the show because Beautiful. he had such a love and heart for marriage and family. So this is so interesting and fascinating that you discovered, or I guess you worked with some people who discovered this retreat that he gave back in 1962 to specifically to artists. Um, So I think for just setting the the foundation of what's going on, would you share a little bit more about where this book came from and and the background of the retreat he created? Yes. Well, I only discovered it in uh, 2016, which is surprising because I've devoted my life to studying the works of John Paul II Mm -hmm. and to find that there was this retreat 
that he delivered in 1962 that I didn't know anything about. I came across a mention of it in a book by a former professor of mine who was a dear friend, a lifelong friend of John Paul II. His name was Stanislaw Griegel, and he mentioned it in a book on the teaching of John Paul II. But what really caught my eye uh, or caught my attention was that uh, he said that this book forms a single whole with John Paul II's theology of the body. Mm. That's what I've really given my life to studying and sharing around the world. And I thought, oh my gosh, how do I not know about this retreat? Well, it had never been published in any other language than Polish. So I contacted a friend of mine in Poland, and I said, could, could you translate a copy of that just for my own private reading? So he did a kind of casual translation of it for me six or seven years ago, and it, it thrilled me when I first read it. I, I was just bouncing off the walls because this is like, I don't know, like a diehard Beatle fan finding some long-lost <laughs> recording that had been buried in the closet at Abbey Road Studios. <laughs> and and it, it finally comes to light. And I thought, I was so enthralled by it, I thought, this has to get out to the English-speaking world. So uh, my institute, the Theology of the Body Institute, was starting a, its own publishing branch at the time. And uh, I contacted the Vatican and requested permission to publish this work, to have it officially translated and published. And this is our, our first offering of the Theology of the Body Institute Press. We couldn't be more happy and proud to be offering to the world as our first publication a an unpublished, previously unpublished retreat by John Paul II. And I'll add this, we're in the beginning of Lent. Uh, Carol Wojtyla, who would become John Paul II, gave this retreat during Lent, of 1962. And it's a reflection on our yearning for beauty. And there, there, there are a few key points I want to draw out here. I mean, we could go on for hours and hours, but there are a few key points here. When we come in contact with beauty, and you, you started the show, Craig, by talking about, you know, have you ever seen a beautiful sunset or a cathedral or something that just kind of took your breath away? We've all had these encounters with beauty, be it in nature, be it in art. Uh, I've had sacred experiences in a movie theater mm -hmm. where something so beautiful happens on the screen that I'm in tears. You know, what are those things? I remember, and I mentioned this in my commentary, not only does this book have the retreat of Carol Wojtyla, I've also written ex an extensive commentary that's included and we have several reflections in this book from other scholars and artists unpacking what it means that, that God is beauty. So in my commentary in the book, I mention an experience I had maybe six or seven years ago, right at the time I discovered this retreat. I was in a hotel room in California. I had just given a long seminar at a, a local church, and I brought a, I had this melody in my mind, and I was trying to remember, oh, what that, what's that melody I'm hearing in my mind? And it was the, the theme music from the movie The Mission. Mm -hmm. Have you guys seen the movie oh, The Mission? yes. Mm -hmm. Love you, that soundtrack. I don't soundtrack. remember the soundtrack of that movie. I do. I own it. But On a CD, sorry. Stellar. Yes. And what you, what you may not know is the main melody from that soundtrack, da-da-da-da-da. Da, 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 
it was inspired by a bird song. Hmm. The composer was just in a place of trying to get in the zone of, of what should I write for this soundtrack? And he heard this bird go, <laughs> and he thought, there it is. That's the main melody. He used that, and, and he wrote this whole orchestral score around that melody. I'm sitting in this hotel room. I bring it up uh, on YouTube, and, and there's this conductor, the guy who wrote the score, conducting like a hundred-piece orchestra. And and I was so struck in particular by this one woman. She was playing this clarinet, and, and this vein was popping out of her neck. <laughs> and I, I started thinking, who is this person? How many years did she spend honing her craft to become this professional clarinet player so that I could be pierced to my core Mm -hmm. by the beauty of this music. And I was in tears. I I was like undone. The beauty of this melody and the beauty of every one of these people in this hundred piece orchestra, it wrecked me. And I'm a bawling mess in my bed in this hotel room <laughs> in California. And it was one of these encounters with beauty that just awakened in me, I don't know how else to say it, a desire for something beyond this world, a desire for a beauty that never fades, a desire for a song or a melody, you might say, that never ends. Right, this the score that I was listening to, this particular piece of music from the movie lasted eight minutes, maybe nine minutes. And it came and it went. And there's always this sadness we experience if we're in touch with what's really going on in our hearts. Encounters with beauty awaken a delight and then a sadness. Hmm something very poignant about it because the beauty comes and then the beauty goes. And in that sadness, if we are attentive, we are going to discover our longing for a beauty that doesn't come and go, a beauty that lasts forever. And in my commentary uh, on the retreat, I call this capital B beauty. Divine beauty. God is beauty. That's the title of this retreat. God is beauty. Small b beauty are these encounters we have with creation, with art, like this experience I'm sharing of this music, where we we experience something so beautiful in this world, it comes, it goes, but if we're attentive, it awakens the desire for lasting eternal beauty. So here are my three points I want to draw out. Number one, beauty awakens a desire. Small b beauty awakens the desire for capital B beauty, a beauty that never ends, a melody that never fades. And then my second point is this. As that desire gets awakened, we discover what Pope Benedict XVI calls the fundamental problem of human existence in the world. Here it is. The heart desires an infinite beauty, but the heart cannot supply it. Mm -hmm. And so this puts us in a posture 
of a certain helplessness, a certain powerlessness. We cannot satisfy that desire on our own. We can only open that desire trusting that God wants to grant us the experience of his eternal beauty, of his infinite beauty. And there's a name for that opening of the desire. Any, any guesses? Eros. Well, the desire is named Eros. Okay. E-R-O-S. The, we, the church borrows her language here from the Greeks. The desire is called Eros, but what is it called when we open that Eros to God, trusting that he wants to satisfy it? No clue. Humility, docility, I don't know. Hmm. Virtue, what do you think? Prayer. Prayer, awesome. Prayer, that's called prayer. Pope Benedict XVI tells us that prayer, properly understood, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. Hmm. So desire is awakened by beauty. Right? Beauty is the thing that awakens the longing the most. And then prayer is the journey of learning how to open that yearning to God, trusting that he wants to grant it. And here's where we run into doubt. Does God really want to grant us the desire of our hearts? Mm-hmm. Right? This is the real battle going on in our hearts. This is the remnant or the, the, the impact, if you will, of the original sin. John Paul II describes the original sin as doubting the gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God wants to grant us the deepest desire of our heart. But the enemy gets in the mix and he says, God doesn't want to grant that desire. If he wanted to grant that desire, why did he tell you that you can't eat from that tree? Isn't that tree beautiful? Doesn't that fruit look delicious? Well, if God said you can't eat from it, he clearly doesn't want to grant your desire. Now, here's a reflection from St. Louis de Montfort that I have found fascinating. He says in so many words, it's not that God didn't want us to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but rather the prohibition was a test. Would we trust that God would give us the fruit as a gift? See, in the imagery of the story of original sin, the tree is not evil. The fruit is not evil in itself. God made the tree, and God doesn't make anything that's evil in itself. God wants to grant us a participation in his own beauty, in his own goodness, in his own knowledge. And God alone has a proper knowledge of what is good and evil. God wants to grant us this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a gift. But the enemy gets in there and says, God doesn't want to satisfy that desire. If you want that beautiful fruit, if you want to taste it, you got to take it. You got to take it on your own terms. You got to take it for yourself because God's not going to give it to you. And from that symbolism, John Paul draws the conclusion that the original sin is the doubting 
that God wants to grant us the satisfaction of the deepest desire of our hearts. So Time out. Yeah. Let's dive into this. <laughs> so let, before we dive into that, that is that that is a hub point from which all kinds of things come. But if you're just joining us, folks, you're listening to 1160 AM, The Quest, Atlantis Catholic Radio, and you are in the family room. And you're not in the family room just with the three of us that are traditionally here. You're in the family room with Christopher West, author, and Chris, you said deep thinker, deep thinker, clear speaker. So, um, but, but what you just articulated for us was a fundamental um, and it explains so many things. I know that, well, I don't want to even go there. Craig, you had some ideas. Let's go with where you wanted yeah, to I've go. Yeah, I've got a few places. <laughs> We're all going a lot of places. Well, there, there's the a lot time. of ways you would go because you've just, you've just fundamentally, you know, put your finger on the nerve that, that innervates everything. Right. And, and, Let and, me just add this as yes. a concluding point to okay. what I was saying. Okay, sorry. John Paul, no, it's okay. It, it'll just, I think, help our further conversation. That, so, original sin is the doubting of the gift, right? We mm -hmm. come to believe yeah. God doesn't want to satisfy the desire of my heart, so I have to take it. Mm -hmm. John Paul II says that faith is, in its deepest essence, faith is the openness of the human heart to God's gift. The gift is precisely that God wants to satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. So faith is the antidote to the original sin. So, okay, I do have to speak to that one real quick. So, because I, that scripture that about God wanting to grant us the desires of our heart, I spoke that aloud to somebody who was trying to just stomp on one of my desires early on without even knowing it was scripture. And she didn't mean it on purpose, but mm -hmm. I didn't get married till much later in life. And I remember going on a walk, and this was actually with my mother, and she said, so why do you think you're going to get married someday? And I said, because God put that desire in my heart, and God wants to fulfill the desire of my heart. And I didn't even know I was quoting scripture. And her mm -hmm. comment was exactly, Christopher, to what you just said, because she saw that that my claiming of that, she saw that as faith because her response to me was, I wish I could have the faith that you do. Mm. And within a year later, God had given me the desire of my heart. And now 25 years later, I've, you know, <laughs> it's quite amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so that is, that is huge. Okay. I have one quick thing. When you were talking about beauty and talking about you watching, you know, bawling in your hotel room, listening to that that um, orchestra, music. the yes, music, the orchestra. listening to the orchestra, what struck me too was how good our God is to allow us to be a part of sharing him and his beauty yes. with each other, yes. right? Yes. So he is yes. the ultimate fulfillment of us. He is the He is the answer to the ache that's in our heart. But we get to be the vessels through which we get to get, as the catechism say, it says, we get to be the co-laborers here in this garden, in this vineyard down here. And we get to be the vessels through which he can pour the beauty in whatever form it comes, in whatever way it's going to touch people, whether it's spiritual gifts or like you say, the beauty of the artistry of this type of creation to, you know, she and she's not God. She's not even the one who's created it, but she's Correct. the vessel through Correct. which God is working. And that's that's the opportunity each one of us has. I just had to say that. Was no. Yes, you're absolutely right. And John Paul speaks to this in the retreat that. The, the responsibility of the artist is to allow his or her talent to be a channel of divine beauty. Mm -hmm. And he says that that talent comes with a very high price. That, 
I think of how many hours, as I was saying, mm-hmm. years of dedication and sacrifice was behind that beauty that I experienced. Yep. I, I recommend in my commentary that the next time you're really blessed by a movie, watch the credits <laughs> and look at every single one of those names in the credits and think of how much time and talent and energy and effort was required of each and every one of those people for you to have that two-hour experience that blessed you. Because mm-hmm. art is not an abstraction, right? Art does not appear out of nowhere. It comes in and through the human heart. And genuine art, true art, and I'm not just talking about sacred art. I'm talking even about genuine secular art. That the, the responsibility of the artist <clears throat> is to open to divine beauty, to allow the true, the good, and the beautiful to flow through his or her talent. And this is true just for moms and dads. Yep. You know, when we hear the word artist, we tend to think of someone with a paintbrush and a canvas or a chisel and a block of marble. But John Paul II extends that word artist to each and every one of us because he says the goal of human life itself is to make of our lives a beautiful work of art. And when I'm, when I'm being a dad, when my wife is being a mom, and we're dedicating ourselves to our kids, uh, we, are, we are making our, we're trying anyway, to make of ourselves a work of art, a beautiful mm-hmm. work of art. And, and there's a talent to that. And there's a sacrifice to that. And there's an opening, there should be, an opening of our hearts in faith that allows God's beauty to flow through us, whatever endeavors we're undertaking. I think you make a really important point because in my world, I, I love manufacturing. There's lots of reasons for me to visit manufacturing plants, lumber mills, and things like that. And I think it is a work of art. When I see there's some mind put together this contraption that literally runs 100 yards long, and this goes in on this end, and carpet or... Uh, yep. TV or something comes out the other end. To me, that is incredible, and and that is as much in my mind art as the beautiful things that I see in the beauty in nature. Right. So, I want to try to pull us. You talked earlier about the helium balloon and the tether. I want to try to put a little tether on the helium balloon for a second, yep. because it, it seems like in the whole beauty thing, we spoke and we spoke last time we were together about eros and and the upward desire of of man back to God. God's desire to condescend to us. Um, there's all kinds of conversations about an understanding of the real presence of of in the Eucharist. But really, all these art, all this beauty, all these things that we're talking about, it's not a surprise to see that the that we say the source and summit of our faith is the Eucharist because that is where that is where the two meet. Right. Yes, our yes. Op, our our climax and his 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 descent. complete his complete descent. And, yes. and, the, and the sacrifice that was made there. But I would like to talk a little bit about some very practical applications of that, right? So if you're, if you're in a marriage or if you're talking about your children or, or how, do we, how, do you help to, how do you help people to see the beauty that is in, in a marriage, the beauty that is in, um, in a special needs child? Um, just yes, some yes. real practical things that are, that are also art. And if I'm, if I'm pulling us way off track. No, some, you're not pulling us way off track at all. I'll, I'll, I'll run with what, what struck me most in what you said. What, how do we see the beauty in a child with 
special needs, maybe a child in a, in a wheelchair, maybe mm-hmm. a paralyzed child, maybe a mentally handicapped child. And there's a line that is so striking in John Paul's retreat, God is beauty. He says that the passion and death of Jesus Christ is itself a manifestation of beauty. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, this is the most gruesome death of the Son of God, a brutal murder, torture and murder, a bl- uh, an absolute bloodbath of gruesome brutality unleashed on the Son of God. And John Paul II has the audacity to say this is, a, is the manifestation of divine beauty? What? Scripture itself says, and this is referring to the, the prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah, that the Messiah became so, uh, so brutalized that there was nothing attractive about him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's got to be different levels of beauty and attraction here, and, and we don't have time to get into all of it before the break. But, but let me say this. The cross is the manifestation of divine beauty because it is the manifestation of the, the, the extent to which God loves us. God loves us so much that he is willing to bear that brutality that we dished out on him and that's what makes the cross beautiful. You know, in the history of Christian art, we have these kind of uh, exaggerated crucifixes that are beautiful to look at. And, and as a boy, I, I, I really liked the realism of crucifix that showed the bloody Jesus. And I wasn't so much drawn to these beautiful crucifixes of gold and ornate designs. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. But I've come to see there's a real point to be made. It's still ugly. It's still a crucifixion. But to show that beauty is the artist's way of showing the beauty of divine love that's being revealed in the willingness of the Son of God to bear in his own body all of our ugliness so that we could know in our body his beauty. Mm-hmm. And let's talk more about that when we come back from the break. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so listeners, you are going to need these three minutes to digest all of this amazing wisdom that you just heard. Please come back and be with us here in the family room in a few minutes where we are talking to Christopher West about his offering God is Beauty, a retreat on the gospel and art. And you can find a link to this book in our show notes. So please go there. We'll see you in just a few minutes. This is Archbishop Gregory John Hartmeyer, Archbishop of Atlanta. And you're in the family room on AM 1160, The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. 
Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. This is Lisa Popchek from More to Life. Catholic Radio changes lives. It's for you, with you, every single day. Whether you're rejoicing over something and you need a community to share that with, or you're struggling with something and you need a community to support you. We're here for you every day to teach you about your faith and to help you live it. This is your home, and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge. But this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like More to Life available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of Catholic radio. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. We'll talk to you soon. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig on AM 1160 The Quest. Welcome back into the family room where we are today with Christopher West, who um, this is his first publication of the Theology of the Body Press, actually the very first time that Theology of the Body Press has put out a book, and it's called God is Beauty, which is based on the retreat that was created by John Paul II. So Christopher, we're glad to have you with us. And um, it's been a, an amazing first half of our show. You've been on with us before, so we've gotten to hear about some of your family room memories. But today it might be neat to hear about a family room memory that's tied to beauty, since that's the theme of our conversation today. Sure. Uh, you know what comes to mind? It was 1979, the spring of 1979, and the movie Rocky <laughs> was on <laughs> national television for the first time. And... I saw that movie for the first time sitting with my family in our family room on TV. And I don't know, some people might think the movie Rocky is not a beautiful movie, but it, I, I received it as a work of beauty. I really did. I was, I was, what was I, 10 years old, almost 10 years old when I saw it for the first time. And this, the courage of this man to, who went the distance in the boxing ring became a theme throughout my whole life. Like, this is going to sound strange, but I cannot understand my life apart from Rocky Balboa. 
<laughs> okay, that's another whole show. <laughs> that's another show. Oh, yeah, you're right. I, but, I have a gentleman you should meet. He lives the same way. He has Rocky posters in his office. Oh, yeah. He sh- Rocky shows up in my prayer as Jesus all the time. I, I mean, I'm not kidding. This is how deeply the, the impact that that movie had on my life. So that was an experience of art that pierced my heart as a 10-year-old kid. And it went so deep. Here I am. I'm 52 now. And that that movie is still in my blood. That character and his story is still in my blood uh, to this day. So I, I can't tell you how grateful I am to the artist, Sylvester Stallone, mm-hmm. for writing that script, for making that movie. Now, he went off the rails a little bit with some of the later Rocky movies. <laughs> yes. um, but I'd say Rocky 1, 2, and 3... And then Rocky Six, uh, the Rocky Balboa movie that came out, I don't know, 13 years ago or whatever. Those are stellar movies, stellar movies. Just love them. <laughs> okay, bring us back to your comment. There's a, I want to make a couple comments after you do, but when uh, John asked you the question about the beauty of a child that may be imperfect according to the world and how God yes. may show his beauty through that, and then I've got a couple comments and a question. Yeah, so the, the real sufferings of raising a handicapped child, for example, this is a particularly intimate, and that's the right word, intimate experience of the passion of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And as we were saying before we went to the break, the passion of Jesus Christ is one, at one and the same time brutally ugly and astonishingly beautiful mm-hmm. because it shows the extent and power of love, that, that this is our example, the willingness to, to bear great sacrifice. To what end? To reveal the great dignity of every human being. And that human being, that child who's handicapped, that child who's in a wheelchair, that child who has uh, mental handicaps, whatever the scenario might be, that child has a dignity. That child has a value and a worth that calls for and calls forth, calls for and calls forth the sacrifice of love. Mm-hmm. And that sacrifice of love is bitter, is painful, but is astonishingly beautiful. And that beauty is a manifestation of what happened at the cross. And let's not be masochists here. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Mm-hmm. That handicapped child is destined for glory, mm-hmm. right? Where the, the, the heavenly glory, where the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will leap, right? It, it, we are not masochists. Suffering is not an end. Suffering is not a goal. Embracing suffering is a means to glory, Right? And, and this comes out in the retreat as well. God himself has humbled himself uh, in, in taking on flesh. And look at the word humility. It shares the same root as the word hummus. And hummus means earth, mm-hmm. right? Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who lived in glory for all eternity, became dirt. He took on hummus. He came down to the earth. He took on flesh, and we are ma- flesh is made of dirt, right? Out of the ground we come, right? And he took on earth. He took on humility. He took on 
hummus for what purpose? To raise this hummus up into glory. This is our destiny. This is the true beauty we long for, that our very bodies would participate in the everlasting glory and beauty of God. Mm-hmm. That's what we're made for. Yeah, and Paul talks about that, right? That I'm crucified with Christ that I might live. Yeah. Exactly. We carry in our bodies the death of the Lord. Why? Because we're masochists? No. We carry in our bodies the death of the Lord so that the glory of the Lord, the life of the Lord, might also be manifested in our bodies. And this is a perfect segue to talk about the dangers of beauty. It just reminds me, though, I mean, what, what I love what you're doing, it reminds me of Romans when it talks about the creature will worship the creature and not the creator. Man's going to worship the creature, not the creator. And you hear a lot today about beauty for beauty's sake, which takes the divine out of it. And, you know, one of the quotes in the book was, you know, why does an artist need God? So we don't idolize ourselves and our works, but move toward God. Mm -hmm. And you keep breaking that out. But today we live in a world that's like focused on the beauty of the beauty for beauty's sake. And going back to what you said, that child's not beautiful by a world standard, so let's not keep it around. Um, Whatever. So, yeah, if you don't mind, would you drill down on that even further? Because, I mean, I think you're bringing truth into what we're seeing today where the world's become ugly, not because it's ugly, but because we're focused on the here and now versus on the eternal that our hearts continue to Correct. try to go towards. So yeah. can you talk Correct. about you put that? Put your finger right on it. And, and I would invite people prayerfully to spend time with Romans chapter 1, which you yep. mentioned, yep. where it goes through the step-by-step process of what happens when, and I'll put it in these terms, when we stop at small b beauty. Mm-hmm. It right? unravels. The purpose mm-hmm. of small b beauty That means created beauty, the beauty of this world, the beauty of the human person, the beauty of art, the beauty of nature, the beauty of the human body. All of these beauties, small b beauties, are meant to lead us to the beauty beyond, capital B beauty. There are so many icons that are meant to open the window to heaven. That's Mm -hmm. what an icon is meant to do. But when we stop at the icon and expect the icon to do what only God can do, what only capital B beauty can do, which is satisfy the deepest yearning of our heart, then we turn the icon into an idol. Yep. And we end up worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And when we worship the creature rather than the creator, as St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, God gives us up in our lust. To mm-hmm. impurity. This is exactly what impurity is. It is the worship of the creature instead of the creator. And, and John Paul II, in this retreat, has a marvelous, stunning reflection. And it was when I read this, it was like, this is what convinced me I have to find a way to publish this to get this out to the English-speaking world. It was this specific passage. He tells the story of when he was a young priest studying in Rome, and he went 
on a tour of the Diocletian Baths in Rome. Mm-hmm. And you, you may or may not know this, but the Diocletian Baths in Rome house these ancient sculptures of the Greeks, where there were these idealized nudes that were carved into marble. So what did this young, saintly Catholic priest do when he encountered these nude statues? He closed his eyes and he ran the other way. No. <laughs> no, that's not what he did. That's, that's, a, that's kind of a fearful, uh, even a, 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 a prudish approach to such matters. This is not John Paul II. What did he do? In his own words, he said, I took great efforts and I laboriously studied these sculptures. And he said it took such great effort. But what I and that's a, that's a good admission. It does. It takes great effort to do what he did. But what did he do? He said I wanted to understand what these Greek sculptures and the Greek people in general who 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 lauded these artists. I wanted to understand what the Greek people were really looking for. And he said in taking upon myself this great effort to study these these sculptures, I came to understand the gospel anew, and I came to understand it more deeply. What they were looking for was perfect beauty revealed in the human body. Mm -hmm. And then it dawns on him, this is what the Christian message is, perfect beauty. What perfect beauty? God is perfect beauty. And how does God reveal his perfect beauty to us? Through the human body, through the word made flesh. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, a male child, born of a woman. This is the very purpose of the human body, is to reveal divine beauty. But when we stop at the body itself, and don't let it lead us, we don't let it lead us to the divine mystery, we end up pornifying the body. We end up worshiping the body as if it were everything we wanted. And, and this is what the sexual revolution has done. It started worshiping sex. Uh, well, well, guess what's going to happen? And it's already happening. We will eventually despise whatever we idolize. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we eventually learn that what we wanted from the idol, it couldn't give us. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Right. Look at the look at the ho- horrifically damaging impact of the sexual revolution mm-hmm. on families, on individuals, on relationships. Uh, there is a tsunami of destruction that has happened from the sexual revolution, and because the the, the worship of sex didn't bring what we thought it would bring, which was nirvana and ultimate happiness. Now we are starting to hate the sexual difference itself. And we're trying to eliminate it, Mm -hmm. right? And this is the proof that we eventually despise whatever we idolize. It's just we're playing that, that reality out in our world today. But here's the solution. The solution to worshiping sexuality is not to think that sexuality is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because behind every idol is our desire for the true God gone awry. Yeah. And this whole retreat, God is beauty. The purpose of this retreat 
is to help redirect our misguided desires toward what we really desire, which is divine beauty. Mm-hmm. And as we allow our idolatrous attraction to small b beauty, as we allow that to be purified, we don't lose appreciation for the beautiful things in this world. We gain an appropriate, purified appreciation for the good things in this world. Only a, a, a mystic, uh, and by that I mean someone who understands that small b beauty is meant to lead us to capital B beauty, only a mystic in that sense can enjoy a good beer without <laughs> it becoming an addiction. <laughs> only a mystic married couple can experience the marital embrace as an opening to the windows and glories of heaven without sex becoming an addiction. This is what our faith teaches the purification of our desire, not the stifling of our desire. Yeah, and I want to I want to tie this real quickly back to Romans 1, because I agree with you, Christopher. Everybody needs to go back and read Romans 1, because when John Paul was walking through and looking at those statues, he was looking at them through the eyes of a, of a, a mind and a soul that had been formed by time with God. And that's what yeah, he's trying to absolutely. do in this retreat as well, is to get us to go into reflection and let us see things through the lens of God. And in Romans 1, it very specifically tells us, Paul said it, that when they started to idolize the creature and not the creator, turn their backs on the creator, that God ultimately gave them over to the depravity of their own yep. minds. And the depravity yep. of our minds is when we can no longer see with the eyes of God. And that's what you're talking about. Is that, exactly exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and this happens in marriage. Let's make this very practical. Yep. I'll, I'll just tattle on myself here. Wendy and I got married uh, 26 and a half years ago. And I already had this theology in my head when we got married. I knew that Wendy and our relationship was meant to be an icon of heaven, that it couldn't really satisfy the deepest desires of my heart. I knew that in my head. Nonetheless, we entered marriage, and we were bent towards one another. We were expecting that the other person would take away the ache. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it doesn't take very long in a married relationship to realize, oh, my gosh, you didn't take away the eight. <laughs> and then we begin to think, oh, I know what the problem is. You are. <laughs> right. And so we try to mold and shape the other person to be what we so desperately need them to be. And then the other person is thinking, does my husband really love me? Does my wife really love me? Well, then why is he or she trying to shape me into something I'm not? Mm -hmm. And then if you allow the relationship to take its natural course, you will go through painful purifications, right? And this is the time when we don't allow those purifications. This is when the temptation to infidelity becomes very strong Mm -hmm. because the ache has not been taken away by my spouse. And I start looking elsewhere thinking, oh, maybe she could take it away. Maybe she could do what my wife can't do for me. But all I'm doing is transferring the idolatry that I've aimed at my wife onto someone else. Yep. When what God wants to do is purify the idolatry. Yep. And Wendy and I have, I mean, we still have a ways to go, of course. Every married couple does. But we've been through some painful purifications, and they've helped us tremendously to learn how to love one another without expecting the other to be ultimate satisfaction. Yep. And I'll never forget, some years ago, Wendy and I were out to dinner, and she said to me, Honey, 
things have been good in our relationship lately. <laughs> what do you think it is? Lately. And I said, I said, I said, yeah, I think lately things have been much better because we went through really hard, rocky times, difficult times. And I said, yeah, I agree. Things have been much better lately. And, and lately meant like the last few years. And, and she said, what do you think it is? And I thought about it for a minute. And I said, Wendy, I think I know what it is. She said, what? I said, I think I finally realized deep in my heart that you can't satisfy me. <laughs> and she got this huge smile on her face. And she said, that's what I've been realizing about you, too. You can't satisfy me either. And I think to myself, if somebody had been overhearing our conversation in the restaurant, they probably thought we were about to get divorced. But we never felt closer. Yep. Why? Because our idolatry of marriage was being healed. Yes. And we were learning to take our heavy hands off one another and we were learning to take our desire for perfect beauty, for perfect love, to the only one who can give it, God. And in receiving that love from God, we were learning at a deeper level how to share that love with one another. And we were learning to love one another in our imperfections at a deeper level. And it was so healing. That, that's the journey of purification of our idols. And it's very practical for married life, very important for married life. And what I like about what you said in the middle there near the end was love, right? Beauty draws us to love. I mean, that's really ultimately what it is. Why did Christ come? To love the unlovable, all those that have been kind of rejected. And, you know, for all of us that have gone through those periods of time, one of the comments in the book that I really love, too, was once I know I'm loved— that someone is seeking me and wants to find me, there's a revelation and a transformation that takes place. And it goes back to the comment you said earlier of God's humility being the prodigal father, constantly seeking us, constantly trying to find us out, love us, meet us where we are, and kind of turn our view away from it. And I can tell you, I know I lose that perspective quite often because I'm so involved into your point looking at it, what do I want? This is my desire, where God's really going, is it really? I know your true desire. And I appreciate how you've kind of unpacked that. Craig, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that point up. This is the final lesson of the retreat that John Paul II gives. The retreat, again, is called God is Beauty. And, and in his final lesson, he says, basically, we've got religion backwards. When we look at religion only from a human perspective— it appears to be a list of things that I must do, mm -hmm. responsibilities that I must fulfill, rules or laws that I must follow. And John Paul II says when we look at religion from that perspective, we have it, we have it backwards. He says we have to look at religion from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we discover exactly what you said, Craig, that God is moving in our direction. That Christianity is not first about fulfilling some duty. It's not a list of the things I must accomplish or I must do. John Paul II says the I musts come at the very end. <laughs> the very first thing is the experience of opening ourselves to a love that is moving in my direction. God humbles himself, takes on hummus, as we were saying earlier, 
takes on flesh, takes on humanity to come in my direction, to meet me where I am with all of my crooked ways. God comes right there to meet me there, to show me that he loves me right there. And then it is that love that I've opened myself to that begins working an amazing transformation from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And we no longer see Christianity as a list of duties or a list of rules to follow. We see it as an encounter with a person who loves me and the experience, the very practical experience of that love changes me inwardly. That's Christianity. It is. And it's exactly in this show what we want people to know is that, right? That we want everybody to know how very loved they are and that you will be a better parent. You will be a better brother. You'll be a better sister. You'll be a better spouse if you could first and foremost allow yourself to be loved that way because then you won't it, idolize it, each other and, and look at each other in the wrong way. Yeah, I would even say it is impossible to be the mother, the father, the the wife, the husband, that we are called to be if we are not opening ourselves to that love from God first. first. Mm-hmm. Because the new commandment Jesus gives us is love one another as I have loved you. But before he gives us that commandment, he gives us this, which is critical to the whole thing. Remain in my love. Because mm-hmm. we can't give what we don't have. Yep. Right? Open to my love. Let me pour this love into you. And then that is what will empower you to love as you're called to love, to love as I have loved you. And that was an Ignatius turning point also. Once he realized that God loved him first, then everything changed in his life, right? So uh, you talked about being mystics, uh, the mystic marriage and the mystic. That sounds so difficult to attain. Really, mystic means you are just open to that love, that mm-hmm. you don't have you're, to be exactly. just dedicated monk, you know, in the desert. So Christopher, would you pray for our listeners that we all would be willing to be so receptive? Happily. Jesus, we need to know your love. We ask you to open our eyes to those revelations of your love in the beauty that is all around us all the time. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our nostrils to the fragrance of your beauty that is all around us all the time. And may small B beauty in all of creation lead us to the capital B beauty, which is the great mystery of your love for the church. Teach us how to open to that love. Teach us how to experience that love. Teach us how to share that love. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Christopher West, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing with us this great offering from Theology of the Body Press, God is Beauty. And uh, listeners, you can find a link to God is Beauty in our show notes. So see us again next week here in the family room where we offer hope, wisdom, truth, and beauty to families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.